John 15:18-22. If the world hates you. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll teach us from this word to attach ourselves and to cling to Christ in all things, even when the vast majority of people despise us and reject us, despise what we say, despise how we live. We, Lord, ask that you'll give us enduring faith to persevere until the end. We ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In our passage in John 15... We're coming into the section where Christ is encouraging us to persevere in faith. Persevere in faith, having established the fact that we should love one another. If we are loving one another and we are encouraged and buttressed in the faith in that way, because we have one another, the true family of God, to help each other, to pray for each other, to encourage each other in the things of God. If we have each other, we're going to have that ability to withstand opposition because we won't be left all alone. We won't be like an ember in a fire, in a fireplace that is left alone to be extinguished. It won't be that way. But we're going to keep our faith strong and secure if we have each other. He's been encouraging us to love each other throughout, since chapter 13 all the way till now. And he'll continue. But at this point, he's teaching us and warning us so that we not fall away. That the world will hate us. The world will persecute us. And when that does happen, we will have strong faith. We will be unflinching. We'll be determined to persevere and stay on the straight path on the highway of holiness until we meet the Lord face to face. This is what he's doing right here, encouraging us to persevere. After all, the Lord Jesus himself had to persevere in the face of intense opposition. The world hated him. He persevered until the end. Therefore, if he persevered and it went well with him, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He will come again. He receives an eternal kingdom. And we who know him, we who belong to him in the family of God, We will inherit what he inherits. We will reign as he reigns. We will have victory just as he has victory. We will be resurrected from the dead just as he was resurrected from the dead. He's here saying, just as it happens to him, it will happen to us. Because we belong to him, it will be the same with us. That's the fundamental point here. And he's telling us in advance 
so that we're not troubled, we're not anxious, we don't give up, and we don't say it's not worth it. We continue with enduring, persevering, abiding faith. That's what he's doing and teaching us in this passage, 18 and following. Let's see now the particulars of how he encourages us this way. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If the world hates you. The if is not an if in terms of it being impossible. The way he means if is that since or whenever it does happen, understand this. The world will hate you, but even if it does hate you, realize it hated me before it hated you. The world. The world is the unbelieving world. It's not the believing world here in the context. It is the unbelieving world that will, in fact, hate us. It will hate us because they don't know the Father. He also says they hate. He doesn't say they don't prefer you, they dislike you. He doesn't use a soft word. He doesn't mitigate the truth of what is actually happening. He calls it hate. It's either love of the people of God or hatred toward the people of God. There is no middle ground. There's no gray area. It's either one way or the other in the scripture. It's either love or hate. They either love us because they love God or they hate us because they hate God. Their hatred is ultimately against God. When they hate the body of Christ, they hate Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said to Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But the Apostle was not persecuting Christ literally because Christ had already ascended into heaven. But he was persecuting the body of Christ, which means he was persecuting Christ. So their hatred is ultimately directed at us, but it's ultimately going to God. They hate God. But if they treat us lovingly the way the Bible defines love, then they love God. If they treat us in a hateful way, they hate God. Even if they claim to love God, it's impossible for them in the world to say they love God and then hate the people of God. It's impossible. The encouragement in verse 18 is, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know this. Our Lord and Savior experienced mockings and scourgings. Our Lord and Savior was called a Samaritan. Insane. The Lord, our Lord and Savior was said to have been born illegitimately. Our Lord was said to be a sinner, to be controlled by the devil. Our Lord was called all of these names, and they sought to put him to death. And they ultimately did put him to death because they hated God. They hated God, so they hated the Son of God, who came into the world to die for our sins. They hated him first. So we shouldn't be surprised. Don't the citizens of a country, don't they benefit or are they not harmed in one way or another based on the leadership of the country? The same thing in a military. Don't the soldiers and the commander, his, 
the superiors of the soldiers, don't they go into the same area, the same battlefield? And are they not experiencing some of the same hardships? The soldier knows what his superior is leading him to do in a certain region of the world and in the battlefield. Is that not the way it is? Is that not the way it is in a family? Is it not the way in the family, if the parents are one way, the children will be that way, generally speaking? We're not talking about exceptions, but generally speaking, whatever benefits wealth or poverty that the parents have, the children have the same. And in the same way, why should it be any different if we belong to Christ? They hated Christ, so they'll hate us. It'll be the same. Verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Is that not the way it works? If you flatter others, will they not flatter you? If you help others, will they not in turn help you? Generally, that's how it works. If you strike a deal with someone, generally, the deal is to reciprocate. You help him, he'll help you. You scratch his back, he'll scratch your back. Or if let's be more specific in terms of sin. The sin that you like to practice, whether it's sexual sin or whether it is drunkenness, whether it is theft, whatever the sin might be, don't you have your buddies? Don't you have your compatriots to do the same kind of evil deeds with you? Isn't that the way it works? And as long as you practice the same thing that they practice, let's say it's drugs, buying and selling and taking of drugs. Let's say it's that. The moment you detract from that, then what happens to your friends? They'll turn against you. Because you want to be law-abiding, you want to be a good, upright citizen, you want to work and labor hard to earn money, you don't want to deal with drugs or take drugs, correct? And then what do your old friends want to do with you? They want to hate you. They want to get rid of you. Because if you do that and you persuade many of the others to do the same thing, then where's the business? Where's the drug business going to go? Right? That's the way it works. It works that way in every aspect of life. In the same way here, if we were of the world, practicing their sins, whatever the sins, whatever they may be, then they would love their own. But, verse 19 says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now you are not of the world. Yes, he's not meaning we don't live in the world. He means we are not in their sphere. We are not in their circle. We are not among them for their influence. We have been ejected or we have gone out of their influence, now we are under the influence of the God of heaven, of Christ our Lord and Savior. We're under his word and his spirit. We have the word of Christ and the spirit of Christ, so we're not of the world anymore. We're not in their group. We're not in their sphere, under their influence. We're not there anymore. How? I chose you out of the world. Christ chose us before the foundation of the world 
And then in time, whether that happened at age 10 or age 20, 30 or more, at a certain point in life, we are practically chosen out of the world. We were in terms of God's purpose and predestination before the foundation of the world, but in time and space, at a certain point in life, to each of us as individuals, whoever is saved, we are chosen out of the world. Then we understand there must be a difference. There must be a distinction. We cannot be the same anymore. We used to be a certain way. We used to think a certain way. We used to talk a certain way. We used to live a certain way, but not anymore. Because God has chosen us out of that. And therefore, the world hates you. The world hates you. They will say, now I won't be able to do my dirty deeds anymore. Now my friend is now my foe and he's going to tell people that I'm doing evil. He's going to expose my dirty deeds. He might go to the police. He might do something and get me in trouble. So now the world hates you. If you don't belong to them anymore, they'll turn against you and make you look like a demon. Make you look like you're insane. Make you look like you are a fanatic. They will do that and verbally and sometimes violently attack the people of God. The world hates in that way. That will happen. The world will hate us. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master? Yes. Remember that word. He said it in chapter 13 in the same discourse. In chapter 13, verse 16. John 13, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Neither one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. A slave is not greater than his master. This will also remind us that in verse 15, 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves. He did not mean that there is no proper way to identify ourselves with Christ in this way. Still, we are slaves and he is our master. We're not slaves to sin anymore. And we do have a, an honorable name, friends. That's true, according to verse 15. But it doesn't mean there is no slave-master relationship between us and our Lord. He is our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude, verse 4. And in that way, if the attackers of the master, if those who are attacking the master and his possessions, they want to get rid of the master... Will they not want to get rid of the faithful slave of the master? We're not talking about turncoats. We're not talking about betrayers. We're not talking about Judas Iscariots among the slaves. We're talking about the faithful ones among the slaves who love their master, who are devoted to their master. In that kind of a relationship, a slave is not greater than his master. So if they attack and kill the master, they will attack and kill the slave who loves his master, who will die for his master. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They did persecute him and they will persecute us. That's the way it works. 
On the other hand, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. If they obey the Lord Jesus Christ, they will obey your words because you repeat the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Whatever we speak, whatever we encourage others to know and believe ought to be the words of Christ, not our own words, not our own inventions. So when we give wisdom or counsel to others, we have nothing to say. All we have to say is the word of Christ. So if they keep the word of Christ, they will keep our words to the extent that our words conform to the words of Christ. That's the way it should always be, without exception. But what if they don't keep our words? Because our words are the words of Christ. They don't keep the words of Christ. And then they will persecute us. Verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. All these things they will do to you. They will persecute us. They will hate us. It will happen for the sake of Christ, because of the name of Christ. Not because we sin. If we sin and someone corrects us, someone disciplines us, someone chides us because we sin, then that's our fault. That's all on us. But if they are against us for the sake of Christ, then it's not our sin. It's our righteousness because we reflect the righteousness of Christ. Then they're actually against Christ. May it always be that way that they are against us because we are seeking to correctly obey and follow and believe Jesus Christ. May it always be because of the name of Christ. Also, he says in 21, because they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know. Many people, Christian against Christian, many people claim to know Christ, but then they persecute the body of Christ. That, that's showing, according to this passage, they don't actually know the one who sent me. They say they know God as Father. They say they are redeemed. They say they believed in the gospel at some point earlier in life. They say they love the Word. They say they love the Lord. They say they love to worship God. They love the people of God. But this passage, verse 21 says, they do not know the one who sent me. Their words must match their actions. Their actions must match their words. If their actions show otherwise, they don't know the Father. They have not been redeemed by the Father. How could one who actually does know the Father, how could one have the audacity to mistreat the children of the Father? No, there would be self-restraint. Now, we're not talking about occasional words or occasional actions here or there, but we're talking about consistent 
despising of the people of God and walking away from them, blaspheming the gospel of God, slandering the people of God, saying evil things about them. That's what slander is, saying false, evil things about them. And then walking away from them. When they do that, they do not know the one who sent me. That's Christ. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. If he had not come, he says, they would not have sin. He says something similarly in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. He doesn't mean in verses 22 and 24 that these people don't have any sin in their life. He's talking about the sin in particular in relation to what he revealed to them. It's an additional sin that he revealed, or additional truth that he revealed to them and an additional sin in response to the rejection of that truth. He means, in verse 24, the works which no one else did. It would be similar to Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles... Most of the Gentiles have not heard of the gospel. And in the time of Christ, the Gentiles had not seen the miracles of Christ. They didn't hear the gospel and they did not see the miracles of Christ. But the Jews, they had heard the gospel. They had the Bible. They saw the miracles of Christ. The cities of Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida, they saw the miracles of Christ. Now, those cities, those places that have heard... They have an additional sin against them before God Almighty on the day of judgment. And what is the sin? The ignorant people, they have their sins. But now you who have this knowledge, you who have seen, you who have tasted the goodness of God, when you reject it, you have this additional sin for which you will be held to account on the day of judgment. That's what he means here about if he had not come to them, they wouldn't have sin. But now they have a sin. And not only do they have an additional sin, they have no excuse for their sin. No excuse. No excuse means that we cannot say on the day of judgment, Lord, I did not know. Lord, you did not tell me. Lord, you did not give me a chance. Lord, you were unclear. Lord, any other thing they might want to say, they can't say that. They have no excuse for their sin. This conflict between us and the world is a conflict for us today. There are people who want to live the Christian life as though the Christian life is a life of ease. It's a breeze. It's always candy. It's always candy cane. It's always cotton candy. They think that the Christian life is a life like that. 
that that's the promise God gives. That's what the gospel is. That's what Christ is. Yes, Christ forgives us of our sins, so don't mention sin anymore because he's forgiven me and then leave me alone to live as I please. However, it's not that way. Why do we know it's not that way from this passage? Because if we are in word and deed living according to the will of Christ, then the world will hate us. It is inevitable that the world will hate us if we are living righteously. Inevitable hatred. Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3 verse 12. 3:12. And indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And indeed, we should know this for sure. Certainly, this will happen. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not any kind of godliness. Godliness is necessary But living in this godly manner in Christ Jesus will bring persecution, will be persecuted. There is no exception here. No exception. Because when we start speaking contrary to the way we used to speak, the words we use, whether it's profanity or not, but even the words we use, the things we say we believe, Once we start changing, once it's different, then our friends will become our foes. What we thought were friendships will now expose themselves as actually being our true enemies. Our friends are actually our foes in our pre-Christ state. We think they're friends, but really they are our enemies. But then... When we live a godly life, we will be persecuted. He doesn't say might be, could be, or it happens sometimes. It happens now and then. It doesn't say it that way. That means that to the extent we are being faithful to Christ, we will be persecuted. People are going to say hateful things against us. They are going to mischaracterize what we believe, how we live, Incidents that arise, they will mischaracterize or slander what actually happened. That is persecution. And even persecution to death. That may also happen. Persecution unto death. It will happen to those who are living a godly life. In the name of Christ, as he says here, in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Living righteously in the name of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 12. 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, 
as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer, or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed, but in that name let him glorify God. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. The beloved, verse 12, we who are beloved of God and to one another, we should not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. The hot conflicts that happen among us between us and the world, and even between true Christians and false Christians, we should not be surprised at these fiery ordeals, these hot conflicts. It should not be a surprise. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Jesus told us in John 15, 18 to 22. He told us that this will happen. And now he's saying, Peter is saying, we should not be surprised. Why be surprised? The people who are surprised are typically the people who initially believed a false gospel, a different gospel, because that false gospel said to them, those preachers said, everything's going to be well with you. You will have health and you will have wealth. Everything will go fine. You will be favored by God and favored by people. Everybody will like you. Everybody will love you. You won't have enemies. Those people are surprised whenever the trouble comes. But we should not be surprised. Verse 13, But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. We share, to the degree we share the sufferings of Christ. The sufferings of Christ are righteous sufferings. Not because Christ sinned, but because he persevered in practicing righteousness, godliness, obedience to his Father. Because Christ did that, to the degree that we do that, we should rejoice, keep on rejoicing. Christ suffered, now I am suffering for the name of Christ. Which name he mentions in verse 14? If you are reviled for the name of Christ. We say to those persecutors, listen, your, your animosity is not really against me. I am just a manifestation. Your real animosity is for Christ. I am following Christ, my Lord and Savior. This is what he says. This is what he believes. This is how I'm living. And you hate it. You hate me because you actually hate him. It's the name of Christ. When we say that to them, we are blessed. When we say it, and when we live accordingly, 
We are blessed by God. And the spirit of glory and God rests upon us. On the other hand, whenever persecution comes, there is no Christian who should ever say, I murdered and now they want to put me in jail. That's persecution. I stole and now they want to fine me for theft and that's persecution or anything else we might do. Whatever we might do that is contrary to the laws of Christ, if we do them, we have no basis to say we are being persecuted. So the issue would be whenever that conflict arises, whenever the persecution arises, the issue will be what did we do? Did we share the gospel and tell the hearers that they were sinners? They needed to repent of their sins? And did that upset them? If that upset them, then we didn't do anything wrong. But if we approach sinners and slap them across the face, if we approach sinners and steal their wallets, and then say, you need to repent and believe in the gospel, and then they are against us, that's not persecution. The question is, what did we say or what did we do for them to start hating us? If it is righteousness, then we should rejoice and understand God is with us. That's the way it should be. Not being ashamed, verse 16, bearing the name Christian and anticipating the judgment of God. The judgment of God in verses 17 to 19. We should entrust our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That's what happens to the believer, to the new believer, and for the rest of his life. What is right in the sight of God? He's always asking, what is right in the sight of God? Not what is right in my own sight, not what's right in the sight of men, but what is right in the sight of God. And when we do that, we are entrusting our souls to a faithful creator who on the day of judgment will say, well done, good and faithful slave. On the day of judgment will say, enter into the joy of your master. That's what he'll say to us because we have faithfully sought to do what is right. Now, in terms of separation, separation from the world and people who listen or don't listen, let's see in 1 John what the apostle teaches us there about separation from the world and even among those in churches. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its Lusts, But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. Our love should not be of the world or the things in the world. Whenever anybody does manifest that behavior, those beliefs, He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
Is there such a thing as a worldly Christian? According to 1 John 2.15, is there such a thing as a worldly Christian? Well, I love the people of the world. I love to do what they do. I love their values. I imitate and replicate their values in my life. And the things that they love in the world, I love those same things. Whatever their hobbies are, whatever their obsessions are, those things in the world, I love the same things. And they consume me just like it consumes them to detract me and distract me from the things of God. So if we have those things in us, in our life, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of God the Father has never been in him. And it shows because he loves the world and the things in the world. And what are those things? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What are these worldly things? A threefold explanation. Lust of the flesh. Lust is a word in the Bible. In many contexts, it means a sexual desire, sinful sexual desire, but not all contexts, such as this one. It does not necessarily mean all sexual, wrongful sexual desires. It means basically evil desire. So any kind of strong evil desire originating from the flesh, originating from the eyes, whatever those strong desires are, those passions within us and those things we see when we have a strong evil desire for those, that's what he's saying is not from the Father, but is from the world. Further, the boastful pride of life. Me, myself, and I. Narcissism, selfishness, selfies, popularized in social media, selfies. Isn't that me, myself, and I? Isn't that what a selfie is? It's even called selfie. Self. It is that. It's the boastful pride of life, drawing attention to me, to who I am, what I'm doing, instead of deflection to God, glory to God. That's the boastful pride of life. Whatever I want, whatever I deserve, and these days the ads say, you deserve it. You deserve it. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. You deserve it, whatever they want to sell you. Correct? But we don't deserve Not in the biblical sense, because we are nothing. We ought to be grateful for whatever we have and not be seeking our self-interest. Why so? Because the world and its lusts, verse 17, are passing away. They are perishing. They will be destroyed in fire, intense heat, 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. 3 to 13 teaches it will all be destroyed like that. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. This is John's way of saying, entrusting our souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. First Peter 4, 19. 
doing what is right. Doing what is right is doing the will of God. The one who does the will of God remains, continues, abides forever. We will live with Him. We will be glorified with Him in the age to come. Who doesn't want that? If he's thinking rightly, if he's thinking sanely, everyone should want that. Doing the will of God to abide forever. This world comes and goes. The word of God lasts forever. It stands firm in heaven forever. And the people of God will last forever in glory, in bliss, in happiness, in joy for all eternity. Let's also go to verses 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. More distinction between us and the world. 2.18. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. In the last hour, in the last days, between the first and second comings of Christ, that's the meaning of last hour, Antichrist is coming, but meantime there are many of them, many little ones. The big one is coming, but the little ones have already arisen. And the little ones are not little in terms of danger. They are great in danger, but little in that they aren't the ultimate one. The ultimate one is coming. However, these little ones, many antichrists, are still very, very dangerous. And what do they do? They, with their false gospels, they entice others to leave the word, to leave the true assembly, to leave the true church. Verse 19, they went out from us. They went out from us. They separate. They walk away. They leave from us. Who's the us? The church. He doesn't mean just the 12 apostles. And he doesn't mean just the one church that received or the several churches that received this letter. Us means the true church, the true people of God throughout all time. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Past tense. They went out, but they were not really of us. In the past, when they were among us, they weren't really of us. They didn't really belong to us. They pretended for a short time, but they weren't really of us. How's, how do we know that that's the case? Verse 19 says, For, for, F-O-R means because. Because if they had been of us in the past, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. They would have remained with us. That is the physical way. That is the spectacle we should see. Are they here or are they gone? Are they walking away? And if they are walking away, 
then they had not been of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. Why would they so despise the truth of God that's proclaimed among us? Why would they so despise the people of God who are seeking to please God, however imperfectly, yet we are still striving to please God and strive for perfection? We're striving for it genuinely. We have that heart for it. So why would anybody in the world want to depart from the truth we proclaim and the life that we seek to live in conformity to that truth? After all, we are not murderers. We are not kidnappers. We're not drug traffickers. We're not promoting orgies here. We're not doing anything. We're not abusing children. We're not abusing women. We're not doing anything like that, correct? How is it that people walk away from the truth when none of those things is happening, and then they go to those places where those crimes and sins are happening, and they have no qualms? They have no qualms in other places where those things happen. They don't complain, but they'll complain where the truth is proclaimed. So he says in 19, but they went out. Why did they go out? In order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. God intends to give us demonstrations, regular demonstrations of those who do belong to us and those who do not belong to us so that we might conform to the will of God, to the will of Christ, to do the word of Christ, to be more faithful. He tests us as Peter said in 1, John, or in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, that these trials come upon us for our testing. This is a test for us to remain faithful, faithful to the Lord. Further, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. 1 John 4, 1 to 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little one, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. At the outset of verse 1, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Nowadays, we are told the opposite. We are told the opposite. Love wins. Let's all get along, right? We're told to just peace, love and peace. Peace, man. That's what everybody wants. And the way to maintain that kind of peace is just to ignore the significant, serious differences we have. So just believe. It's okay. As long as we can be together, it's okay. Just believe what you, whatever you want to believe. However, Scripture says, do not, do not believe every spirit. We cannot believe 
everything we hear. But we are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Test them. You say that, sir, but do you have a verse in the Bible that supports that? You say that, sir, but does that align with the words of Christ? You say you're a Christian, sir, but is that belief or is that life, the way you live, is that in conformity to the word of Christ? He says we're supposed to test. And that's the polite, loving way to test. We challenge them. And then we say, is there a verse? And if he says, yes, there is a verse, then look it up together. Look it up together and read the verse in context. That's the key. Because cultists don't read the Bible in context. Read the verse in context, and then you'll see what it actually means. And this is necessary because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many are in the world. Many are in the world because there are many of them false prophets. They're false prophets or false teachers in that they say this or that is true or this or that will happen in this world or in the world to come when all of it is contrary to Holy Scripture. They're false in those ways. So don't listen to the false prophets. And the example he gives is in verses 2 to 3. Confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh from God. False prophets deny it, though they might say Christ, though they might say God, they might say gospel. They believe in a false Christ, a false God, and a false gospel. Inevitably, that's what it is. After you strip away the layers... It's superficial. Just because someone says Jesus, it doesn't mean he believes in Jesus. Satan can say the name Jesus. Judas Iscariot said the name Jesus when they preached. Judas and the apostles. It's possible for many people to say Jesus. And it's possible for many people to say, Lord, Lord. But in Matthew 7, 23, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name perform many miracles and cast out demons. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, 23. It's not enough for them to use the biblical words. They have to have the biblical meaning. That's verses 2 and 3. Then, verses 4 and following. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We are from God because we have the Spirit of God within us and we have overcome the world and we are more powerful and greater than the one who is in the world because the Spirit is in us. The Spirit in us is greater than the Spirit in the world. The Spirit of God is greater than Satan. Verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. World talks to the world and the world listens to each other. You like that sin? Or I like that sin too. Let's do it together. That's the world listening to the world. It doesn't work that way with us. Look at verse 6. We are from God. Verse 6. We are from God. Verse 4. You are from God. 
Verse 5, they are from the world. We are from God, verse 6. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. They may claim to have the truth, but this is the test. He who knows God listens to us. Who are the us that others should pay attention to? The us who have the truth. If we speak the truth and they conform their life to the truth, good. That's what we want. But if they hear what we say, they listen to what we say, and they reject it, then he does not know God. They do not know God, according to verse 6. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. This is the demarcation. This is the way we can know. All we're doing is saying, let's read the word of Christ together. Let's study the word of Christ together. This is what it says. Does it not say this on whatever subject? Does it not say this? If it says it, then what am I doing that's contrary to God? They have to say nothing. Nothing that you're doing is contrary to God. That's what they have to say. But will they listen to it? Meaning, not only say it's true, but believe it. And if they don't, then they don't know God. If they walk away and then start persecuting us, either to our face or not to our face, behind our backs, however they do it, if they start slandering us, saying evil things about us, walking away from us, wanting nothing to do with us, then they don't know God. They are persecuting the people of God to their own destruction. Shall we, as the people of God, remain faithful to Christ? He loved us. He died for us. He died and rose again on our behalf. Let's remain faithful to Him and ask Him for His grace to empower us, to embolden us, to preach His Word and to practice His Word faithfully. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.